Good morning. We are so glad you're here today. It is a beautiful day and we're thankful for this opportunity to be together. We have a number of folks that are visiting with us and as always we encourage you to come back. We are so grateful that you have chosen to come our way today. We're thankful for the many visitors that come each and every week. We want you to feel welcome here. We would love for you to be a part of the church here. I know that we've had a number of folks that have identified with us recently and we would love to have you if you're looking for a church home then please know that we would love to have you as a part of our family and we'll do all that we can to encourage you as you live the Christian life. We are looking at a couple of passages of scripture today Matthew chapter 5 verses 13 through 16 in addition to Psalm 11 verse 3. There are a lot of people in the world today that are concerned about the direction of the human family. Many of us who are citizens in this country, we are very concerned about the landscape as we see it. Things have changed so dramatically in our nation. The world in which we live, it is a different time. Society has changed in many, many ways. And there are occasions in life when, as a Christian, we want to know, what can we do to make a difference in the world in which we live? Now, I know that there are many of us, our attitude is, you know, I'm just one. I'm only one person. How then can I make a difference in this nation in this community where I live. In Psalm 11, verse 3, the psalmist in the long ago had this to say, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? That's a great question. Because from our perspective, the foundations that we see that once were strong and sturdy in this country, have been shaken to their core. And so as the foundations are being destroyed, the question of this hour, what can the righteous do? Is there something that you can do, is there something that I can do as a child of God to make a difference in our city, in our state, in our nation, in the world? My answer to that would be yes. There are things that we can do. We have a tremendous opportunity to use our influence for good in the world in which we live. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus many years ago, he wrote to people that at one time had been living in spiritual darkness. He said, you were once in darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. And so his encouragement, walk as children of light. We are children of light, aren't we? And so as children of light, as light bearers, we can have a positive impact upon society today. We'll just cite for you some ways that I believe that we can make a difference in the world in which we live, in the nation that we find ourselves living in. Number one, I suggest that we must preach righteousness. 
I'm well aware of the fact that Tuesday is election day. There are many, many people that have already voted. There are many who have yet to vote. Whoever wins the presidency, my job will remain unchanged. My job is still the same. You know what that job is? Preach the Word. What we have to understand and what we have to really come to the realization of is that God has used the preaching of the gospel to change the landscape in the hearts and lives of people down through the ages. Many of us are familiar with that great prophet Jonah. Jonah was instructed to go to the city of Nineveh. And you remember God said, their wickedness has come up before me. The Ninevite people were wicked, ungodly, and Jonah's message was one of repentance. Chapter 3 tells us, God said to Jonah in the long ago, I want you to preach the preaching that I bid you. In other words, I want you to share the divine truth that I am instructing you to impart. His preaching did not fall on deaf ears because the Bible tells us from the king on down, the people repented in sackcloth and ashes. As a matter of fact, Jonah's message was sobering. They had 40 days to get their act together, or God said, I will destroy you. The people repented in sackcloth and ashes. As a result of their repentance, God spared Nineveh. Some 100 years later, God eventually destroyed the Ninevite people because they went back to their old ways. You look at the landscape in the first century and you think about the Roman Empire the cradle in which the church was born. The apostles of Christ were instructed to preach Christ and Him crucified, weren't they? Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord and ourselves as your servants for His sake. When you look at the life of Paul and Silas and Peter and John and the others, let me tell you what, they were rattling chains in their day. You remember in Acts chapter 17, they spent some three weeks in the city of Thessalonica. They reasoned with those people from the Scriptures about the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. In verse 6, the Bible says, the charge was leveled against them, that these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Their preaching and teaching was making a difference in the hearts and lives of people. You turn over to chapter 17 in the book of Acts and you see Paul entering the city of Athens. Athens was the intellectual epicenter of her day. Athens was renowned. And yet when Paul entered that city, the Bible says his spirit was stirred within him because he saw the city given over to idolatry. When you and I look around in our nation, and we call this nation our home, we are citizens in this country, and we are grateful for our citizenship and all the blessings and favors that come with it. But I have no doubt as we look around and as we observe the pluralism that is so prevalent in this nation, we've got to get back to holding up the one true living God. We've got to announce to the world, we've got to announce to this nation 
that there is only one God and the road of salvation runs through Jesus Christ and Him alone. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me, the apostles of old. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, they said before the Sanhedrin council, that governing body of the Jewish people, they said, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. First and foremost, Paul was a preacher of the gospel, wasn't he? And Paul would say in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul believed in the power of God's Word. Paul could have easily written the, the Athenians off and said, you know what, they're so steeped in idolatry, there's no way they'd be interested in Christ. But that's not what he did. When you and I look around, sometimes we do so with, a, with an air of pessimism. Our attitude is people are so steeped in their lifestyle, they wouldn't be interested in the gospel. We haven't even given them a chance. When Paul made his way to Corinth, what was Corinth known for? The very same thing, idolatry and immorality. And yet Paul spent 18 months in that city, and do you know what he did? Preached the Word of God to them. And we're talking about a city that was a cesspool of moral evil. And yet Paul did a tremendous work in that city. The gospel is still God's power to change the hearts and lives of people. You want to change this nation? In no way am I minimizing our vote. I'm not minimizing our voice, but what I am saying is the gospel is the answer. That's it. You want to change the landscape of this country? It's the gospel. That's it. The Hebrew writer said the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God has convicting power, doesn't it? Not just convicting power, but converting power. When Paul spent 18 months in Corinth, you know what those people were doing? They were living in idolatry and immorality. And he would say, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, but hear him in verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed. I'm saying today the gospel is still God's power to save. You want to change this nation, then you support the preaching of the gospel. You do what you can to fulfill the Great Commission, as Jesus said. Go therefore and make disciples, listen to Him, of all nations, not just in America, but all nations. Everybody needs the gospel. Without the gospel, people are lost and dying in sin. Number two, first we preach righteousness. Secondly, we promote righteousness. We're talking about principles of righteousness. I am well aware that many of our founding fathers, they had a tremendous respect for the Word of God. They believed in the ideals of Scripture. As I have said before, and I'll reiterate, they were convinced that the perpetuity and prosperity of this nation was tied to our allegiance to God's Word. 
I know they didn't understand New Testament Christianity as we do in many quarters. But they did believe in the power of God's Word, and they did believe that this book was the answer to life. And Paul said all Scripture given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. So what about promoting righteous principles in this nation? I want, you to, I want you to think about something. The time has come for those of us who make up the silent majority to speak up. We need to speak up. If you don't like the direction this nation is going in, then stand up and speak up. The left has had too much of a voice. We need to refuse to be silent. Paul said, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. It's time to stand up in America. It's time to stand up in this world and say, you know what? There will be no more abortions. Over 50 million abortions in this country. Any ideology, any ideology or any person or any political party that would promote the deaths of unborn babies is a disgrace. I'm just telling you. God is the author of life, isn't He? When are we going to stand up as the people of God and say, you know what, enough, enough. You know, in the early 1990s, the homosexual community began thumping their agenda to mainstream a lifestyle that is not acceptable Biblically speaking. Now you think over, think back to about 1990, 91, 92, when they began just chipping away day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. I'm here to tell you, they have mainstreamed a lifestyle that God condemns. So when are we in love going to stand up and say, you know what? This is wrong. Refuse to be silent. In, in a loving, kind way, we can say, look, Christ died for your sins, yes, but you can't live this kind of a lifestyle. Go back and read about the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. When Abraham bartered with God for those cities... God said, I will spare the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah if I can find ten righteous people. Lot, his wife, and his two daughters were four. They lacked six people. Six righteous souls. Now you think about the church today. We are to be the voice for truth, are we not? I mean, didn't Paul say in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth? So if the world is going to know something about truth, who then is going to stand up? 
Not the world, but rather the people of God. Let me tell you something. When I talk about standing up and speaking out and using our voice for truth, we better stand up and we better start promoting free speech. We are living in a day and time, we're living in a culture today where people are now censoring what we have to say. And let me tell you what, if they can do it politically, they will do it biblically. You just watch. Just sit back, don't say anything. Don't use your influence for good. And I tell you what, the devil, the devil has already got a lot of real estate in this world. And he's intent on getting a lot more. And the devil is in no hurry. He just sit back and wait. Paul said, neither give place to the devil. In other words, don't let him have any more real... Look, he's got enough. It's time to take it back. How do we do that? By speaking up and being a voice for truth. Somebody said one time, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. Sit back and don't do anything. Don't say anything. And I'll tell you what. Watch the changes as they continue to trickle down. We've got to preach righteousness and we have to promote righteousness. We've got, we've got to be the kind of people that understand the Word of God is ultimately the only message that can change the world. I'm not looking to Washington to change the landscape of our nation morally, racially, or any other way. I believe that the power of the gospel has the ability to change this world. I said just a minute ago, whoever is elected on Tuesday, my job remains unchanged. And listen, I know this. Whoever is sitting in the seat of the presidency has to understand there is somebody above him. When John wrote the Revelation in Revelation chapter 1, he was writing to people who were being persecuted horrifically under a fellow by the name of Domitian. Domitian wanted to be addressed as Lord and God. And John in Revelation chapter 1 said, I want you to understand something. Writing to Christians who were being persecuted, some were being martyred for their faith, he said, Jesus is the ruler over the kings of the world. Jesus is king. And He is my king. And so when I talk about allegiance, first and foremost, my allegiance is to the kingdom of God because that's where my citizenship lies. Now, am I, am I a citizen of America? Yes. Paul was a citizen in the Roman Empire and he used that citizenship to his advantage. But on a higher scale, he said, our citizenship is in heaven, whence also we wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a third way we can impact the world in which we live. The psalmist said, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Let me tell you what we can do. We can preach righteousness, we can promote righteousness, and we can practice righteousness. What was it Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5? He said, you are the salt of the earth. And the idea is that we are to be a leavening agent for good. 
in the world in which we live. One of the things that salt does, it creates thirst, doesn't it? And Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake. We have the opportunity by the way that we live day in and day out to create a thirst, a hunger, if you please, in the hearts and lives of people. I would hope that when people see us as we go about our daily lives, that after observing how we conduct ourselves in good, good times, bad times, good days, bad days, that their response is, you know what, I want what they have. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. You don't take a light and hide it, do you? No, he said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Think about how as a Christian in school, in your neighborhood, at the grocery, in a department store, at work, wherever you, wherever you go from day to day, think about the impact that you can have as you live the life of a New Testament Christian. Didn't Paul say in 1 Timothy chapter 4, let no one despise your youth? But be an example of the believers in word, in conduct. That is, in what you say and in how you carry yourself. In faith, in spirit, in love, in purity. All Paul was saying is, act like a Christian. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter talks about a Christian woman who is married to a non-Christian. And he said, the way to win that person to the Lord is without the Word. Not to say that we shouldn't try to instruct people, but he's saying that there are times when the best way to win your mate to Christ is to just live the Christian life. Let them, as Peter said, observe your chaste behavior coupled with fear, which is that which is, as Peter said, in the sight of God, of great price. We have a tremendous opportunity to be light bearers in this world. I mentioned a moment ago Ephesians 5, when Paul said, You were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. What's the, what's the goal of the church? To evangelize, isn't it? When it's all said and done, where should our focus be? Our focus is not political in nature. It's not necessarily social in nature. Our focus is spiritual, isn't it? Aren't we interested in reaching the lost, preaching the gospel? If we preach and teach the gospel, if we promote the gospel, if we practice the gospel day in, day out, will it not make a difference? You remember in Philippians chapter 2, Paul said that you might be blameless and harmless. And then listen to what he said. In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. What are you saying, Paul? Are you saying that the people in Philippi were living in a crooked world, in a perverse world? Yes. But he said, among whom you shine as lights in the world. 
That's our goal, to shine as a light in this world, to be a light for good, a light for God. The gospel of Christ is a good message, isn't it? It's the good news. You know, the good news hasn't changed. The good news is Christ died for our sins. He was buried, raised again the third day. That message is just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago when Paul and Peter and the others preached, preached it. Now you remember, you remember the apostles were often persecuted, chided, commanded not to preach or teach in the name of Christ. And yet in Acts chapter 5, after being beaten, commanded not to preach and teach in the name of Christ, the Bible says, daily in the temple and from every house they cease not teaching and preaching Jesus as a Christ. Why do you think that was the case? Why do you think they were unmoved undeterred by those who wanted them to, to cease promoting the gospel. Because they realized that was the only message that could save. There's a fourth thing that we can do. And that is we can pray for righteousness. Pray. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul said that he exhorted that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and the giving of thanks be made for all men. Then listen to what he said. For kings and all who are in authority. Why, Paul? That we, might lead, that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. He said, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who would, who would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So look at it from this vantage point. We need to pray for righteousness in this country. Pray that we can continue preaching and teaching the gospel of Christ. Pray that we will have the right kind of people in positions of leadership so that we can enjoy the liberties that have been granted to us by the Constitution. It's called freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of press, our goal is to saturate the world with the gospel of Christ. If we're living in a nation that is favorable towards Christianity, we can continue to do what we do. We can worship God. We can serve Him publicly. We can preach, teach. We can promote. We can write. We can publish literature. We can do a lot of things to advance the cause of Christ. Remove those liberties going to be much more difficult for us to carry out the work of God. So what Paul is saying, and listen, when Paul wrote to Timothy, do you know who was on the throne? A fellow by the name of Nero Caesar. Paul would die at the hands of the very man that he said, I want you to pray for. Ultimately, Christianity toppled the Roman Empire or toppled the oppression, so to speak, of the Roman Empire. So our prayer is that God would continue to providentially shine upon us as a nation of people.
so that we can continue preaching and teaching and sharing the gospel. We talk about America and her history. I do not believe in any way that America is God's chosen nation. God's chosen nation today is the church. That's it. And God is glorified in the church. But I believe that God has providentially shined upon this great nation. And because of the liberties that we enjoy in this country, we have been able to successfully evangelize in this nation. And because of efforts of the church, we have globally impacted the world with the gospel of Christ. So we pray for righteousness so that we can continue to exert influence as members of the church, not just here, but throughout the world. First and foremost, I'm a Christian. You're a Christian. And Peter said, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but glorify God in this matter. I understand the hostility and hatred towards those of us who are trying to live the Christian life. I understand that there's an agenda, not just in this nation, but there is a worldwide agenda. And the devil is the one who is behind the master plan. And as Peter said, he's walking about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Our job is to withstand him steadfast in the faith to be strong in the Lord, in the strength of His might. We must, as Paul said, put on the whole armor of God. We are to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and we advance His cause by promoting His will and His ways. A lot of people are pessimistic. They're negative when they think about the outlook of this nation and the world. Optimistically speaking, however, I believe the gospel is just as powerful today as it was when Paul and the other inspired writers penned it. The gospel is the answer, isn't it? Here's the key. The gospel has no power if we don't share it. We can't rob God of the power of His Word by staying silent. So let's preach righteousness. Let's promote righteousness. We can practice righteousness, and we can pray for it. Let me tell you, if we do that, then we'll do what the Lord wants us to do. I may just be one person. Individually, we're just one. But Jesus took 12 men and literally changed the landscape of the world, didn't he? We can do the same thing, can't we? The power's in the message. We're the messengers. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I encourage you to come to Christ. I want you to know that Christ died for your sins, as Paul said. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God's interested in your soul. As Paul said, God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So today, if you're here, you believe Jesus is the Son of God. And you would willingly walk away from sin through repentance.
confess His name before others, be buried with Him in baptism. The assurance is the forgiveness of sins, Acts 2.38. God will then put you in the church, Acts 2.47. And then the exhortation, you be faithful, even in the face of death, the promise being the crown of life. If you're here today and you're not what you ought to be, my encouragement would be, let us pray with you and for you. And God, who abundantly pardons, will forgive you. John said, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why not come today as we stand and sing?